If you've got a Bible, find Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. We're talking about cliffhangers of Christ. Times where Jesus said things, uh, made comments that sort of leave us hanging, wondering exactly uh, what happened to this individual, what happened in this circumstance. And we, d- we suggested at the very beginning, because we know all Scripture is useful for Doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness that we can, we can take this passage of scripture, this particular cliffhanger, and we can insert ourselves into the life of, in this case, individuals, plural, uh, who are sort of, we're left on the cliff that is wondering what happened to them. Did they ever, quote unquote, get it? Uh, well, let's talk about that today as we look at this cliffhanger we're titling, Where Are the Nine? Which is a quote right out of this very famous passage of scripture. We're not told exactly when this happened, except the occasion we know is when he was going to Jerusalem, which of course Jesus did a number of times in his ministry. In all likelihood, it was toward the end of his ministry. Therefore, it was one of the last times he would ever visit Jerusalem. He's raised Lazarus. He's done a lot of miracles. He's left a few other people hanging in the, in the process. And now comes upon these 10 lepers who have uh, got the memo, so to speak, that Jesus is coming. And verse 11 is where we pick it up. And it says, on the way to Jerusalem... He was passing along between no man's land, Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered the village, he, met, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. Please notice the description of these guys. They, and they lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And he saw them, when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a mega voice, a mega voice, mega praise, a loud voice, and fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him, say it, thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, we're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Years ago, a picture was described to me A picture I have never personally seen, and while I scoured the internet, I could not find any depiction of this picture. If you can find it, please do and show it to me. I will frame it and put it in my office. There's the challenge for you, because I can't find it. The title of the picture, as it was described to me, is is, uh, Ingratitude. That's the title of the picture. Not in gratitude, but ingratitude. Or being ungrateful. And the picture apparently depicts a hideous looking idol. Just as ugly as you can possibly imagine. And all around this idol are people like you and me. And the people are hurling stones at the idol. The idol called ingratitude. And of course the purpose of this picture is to depict 
our natural revulsion for ungratefulness, for ingratitude, for those who refuse to return thanks for the things which were done for them. Before delving into this text on gratitude and ingratitude, let me ask you a question. Are you like me in that some of the most enjoyable people in your life, the people you love to be around, are grateful people? Grateful people lighten my day. They put courage into me. They pump me up, so to speak. And they remind me to be grateful. When I'm around people who are constantly thanking God and thanking others, they remind me of how important it is to live a grateful life. Are you like that in any way? I think I told you years ago, we went to a conference, a pastor's conference down in Florida, a number of years ago, who's, they're two pillars of their church. You know, you go to these churches and they'll put pillars up where, you know, and these are all the purpose statements of their church. And this one had two, evangelism, I got that, and thankfulness. I, I remember when I first heard that, huh? But that was their, those were the two pillars that held this church up. And then I got to thinking about it. It made perfect sense. Evangelism, of course, makes absolute sense. But thankfulness is like the topping on your ice cream, so to speak. It's the, it's the spice of Christianity. It's the salt that both Paul and Jesus spoke of. It's what often gets folks to return for seconds and thirds. That's why Paul is constantly admonishing us in the epistles It's almost as an addendum to all kinds of things. You'll notice he'll say, you know, as you receive Christ Jesus our Lord, so walk in him, rooted, built up, you know, established in the faith, as you have been taught, and be thankful. He throws that in there constantly. Indeed, the understood love of Jesus is more, or should be more than enough motivation to be grateful. Do you agree with that? The opposite, of course, of gratitude is ingratitude. One of the very first, I've always been intrigued, and I am ramping up at the early stages of ramping up for a series in Romans. And what I have been enamored with in this first chapter of depravity in Romans is that before you get into this whole business of idolatry, which leads to all kinds of things, such as homosexuality, which takes on a huge aspect of that first chapter. So it'll be interesting in our culture to deal with that. But one of the first linchpins, one of the first links in the chain is ingratitude. Because they didn't glorify God, neither were they thankful, it says. It's just amazing to me. One of the first signs and signals to depravity is ingratitude. And he says their foolish hearts are dark, and so the fruit of ingratitude is darkness. If you are an ungrateful person, you live in a dark world. And by the way, everybody knows it. The Apostle Paul said in the latter days in 2 Timothy chapter 3, that's, that's going to mark the latter days. Men will be unthankful. Ingratitude is the essence of vileness, Kant said. 
Shakespeare called ingratitude monstrous. And he was right. Charles Ryrie, in his wonderful book on the miracles of Jesus, titles this miracle, and I can't improve on his title, so I just, just hijacked his title. The Society of the Thankless Nine. As I was going through this and looking for this ingratitude, you know, idol, I kept coming across this picture, you know, when you hit images, this picture of, of, uh, of Betty Davis and Dick Cavett. Now, I've just dated everybody in here. If you were around in the 60s and early 70s, you either watched Johnny Carson or Dick Cavett, who was opposite of Johnny. He was an entertainer. He interviewed Betty Davis, who was the silver screen doll for many, many years and before my time, even. But he was asking Betty Davis. He, it was a, so I finally, she kept, the picture just kept showing. So I finally went over there and clicked on the YouTube and here an early 70s interview between Cavett and Betty Davis, who's now in her 60s. And he's asking her about what was the most frustrating part about the, mo- or the, the movie business? She said, and she was talking about this, and he, he, he said, you know, do, did, did people thank you a lot? Did the screenwriters and directors thank you a lot? No, she said, they never thanked us. We thank them all the time. But they never thanked us. And then she said this, and I quote, four thanks in a year, and we would have never asked for so much money, unquote. That just struck me. If they'd have thanked us at least, you know, Four times a year, we, we wouldn't have asked them for... It's just amazing to me. The power of gratitude and the power of ingratitude. So in this famous story, we have lepers who not only depict being sinful, but sort of amplify what should be the cause of overflowing gratitude in us. They're lepers, so let's just talk a little bit about that, okay? Leprosy, the Greek word just means scaly. And it carried basically with it a wide variety of skin diseases. But the worst kind were communicable, and that's the reason why you have the Old Testament forbidding lepers from mingling with society. They had to keep their distance, According to Leviticus 13 and 4, you've got two whole chapters in Leviticus, over 100 verses dedicated to lepers and what to do with them. 100 paces. They had to wear torn clothes. They had to leave their hair disheveled. They had to cover their upper lip. And perhaps saddest of all, they, they, they were to dwell alone. I don't know, maybe this is more sad. As they approached any populace, they had to call out, not once, but twice, unclean, unclean, and then everybody would just scatter like vermin. The Hebrew word for leper means to smite. That's why the Hebrews viewed lepers above everyone else in this world, as smitten by God himself. Most of us here acknowledge that we're sinners. Can I get an amen on that? 
25 amens, not bad. I got some work to do here. But few of us can picture the vileness of sin from God's perspective. From time to time, in the Old Testament, God would sort of tap into our imaginations so that we might just get a look into his mind and his view of sin. Just a couple of them. This one I think you're familiar with. I'll simply quote it. Isaiah said, all of our righteousnesses are as, say it, filthy rags. Now that's bad enough because we're talking about not the bad things we do, but the good things we do apart from Christ. The good things we do apart from Christ are as filthy rags. The Hebrew word for filthy rags is minstrel rag. You say, well, that's disgusting. Yeah, that's what it was intended to be, disgusting. Because in the mind of God, our righteousnesses, apart from Jesus Christ, are no better than a used menstrual cloth. Pardon me, you need to hear that. It's vile. If you made your way over, don't do it, but you can mark the the text down. It's a fascinating passage in Zechariah 3 where a vision is given. To the children of Israel. And in the vision, you have Joshua, who is a high priest at the time. He's standing before the altar. And according to Joshua chapter 3, if you study the text, he is covered in human excrement. It just says he's filthy, but that's what he was referring to. Now, that's it. What a picture. The, these These pictures that God gave and others are visionary. They are not real. While it would certainly be possible for a priest or anybody else to be covered in human excrement, it didn't actually happen. Yet the very picture of such a thing in your mind is revolting, isn't it? And then I hear just last week about a guy who got caught in a woman's kaibo down in the sewer by a woman who brought her kid in there and saw the guy down there looking up. There's your picture of sin. Those little tap-ins to our imagination that God would give us and others are intended for us to at least get some kind of glimpse at the revulsion of sin. This is why Habakkuk 1.13 says that God's eyes are too pure to look upon that which is not holy, that which is sin. Have you ever read that? So, but lepers, they were real. They were real people. You could see a leper. They weren't visions. They were actual human beings with hideous physiological deformities. And when we put all these things together, we begin to see God's view of of us outside of Jesus. We are sinners. We are spiritual lepers. Look to the person next to you and say, you are a spiritual leper. Just tell them you're a spiritual leper. See how they like that. 
Now, Jesus healed all kinds of diseases and maladies like blindness and deafness and lameness and muteness, etc. But leprosy was sort of the ultimate plague. Remember, in Judaism, there was, that was just, just fraught through Judaism that this cause and effect idea. That if you had something wrong with you, it was because you weren't walking with God, you were not spiritual. Remember the blind man in, in, in John 9? Well, this is how, who did this? Is it because of his sin or was it his parents? Because we got to find some connection here, Jesus. Remember that? And Jesus says, neither one, but that God might be glorified. Then he heals him. And I am absolutely amazed as I move amongst the Christian community and see people, guys and girls who, and men and women who ought to know better, who think because their marriage is good, their family is good, their job is good, that must be because they're good. God must be blessing me. Maybe. Maybe not. I remember a comedian years ago and said, doesn't that mean the same thing? <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Nah, anyway, it doesn't matter. It does if you think about it. It means the same thing. Ecclesiastes 8, verse 14, is where the writer Solomon says, it's one of these things that is always befuddling to us is when good things happen to seemingly bad people and bad things happen to seemingly good people. And he's all frustrated by that. But when we say that God is sovereign, that means he can do whatever he wants, right? Which means he can cause those who love, walk with God, are confessing their sin, they're right with God. He can cause all kinds of issues in your life, your marriage, your kids, your job. And likewise, he can take you who are hiding your sins, these hideous, ugly, idol-like, ungrateful kinds of sins, and everything could seemingly be peachy keen. I'm telling you, that doesn't make you right with God. You're no different than a Jew in the first century who thought everything was by cause and effect. And so a leper, obviously, man, something wrong with him. Something wrong with his generation, his past, whatever. The story, as in this story, we notice how vividly leprosy pictures sin. I'll go quickly. Here is Jesus. He's crossing no man's land, you know, between Samaria and, and, and the Galilee. And he meets these 10 lepers who, who see their chance. Now, as the story goes, we learn that at least one of them is a Samaritan. We, there might have been more. Jesus identifies one who comes back as a Samaritan. So, in other words, the woman at the well statement, Jews and Samaritans have no dealings. Is true unless they're in the same boat. They're in the same pit. They're experiencing the same lot. You got ten lepers, and at least one of them is a Samaritan. Maybe two or three of them were Samaritans, but see, they're they're all just they're all lepers. And here's the principle: leprosy, like sin, was the great leveler. And there is no distinction. Paul says, right? For all have, what? Sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's no distinction. Leprosy is a perfect illustration of you and me as sinners 
before a holy God. There is no distinction. We're all in the same camp. Nobody is better than anyone else, right? Second thing, leprosy, like sin, was a great desensitizer. This is the fascinating thing about leprosy because Dr. Paul Brand, who is the world, was the world-renowned student and professor and the one who really studied what we now know as, it's called Hansen's disease. He tells us that leprosy is basically a disease of the pain sensors. So when you put your hand on a hot oven, you don't think, wow, I'm smelling flesh, probably should remove that hand about right now. No, you just pull that thing away, right? Because you have pain sensors that tell you to do that. Leprosy just basically takes them out. And so the, what happens as a result is sort of secondary, is sort of, again, it's not the primary reason why they lose digits and noses and ears and have gaping holes in their skin. It's because they'll get an itch and they don't stop itching. They don't feel any pain. Dr. Brand was in an area, a leper colony in Africa, where he saw one guy working with a, with, a, with a rake and it had a nail sticking out of it. The nail was sticking right into the guy's skin. He never he felt it, just kept on going. He saw another guy reach right into hot, fiery hot coals and pull out a, a potato. Couldn't get a lock open one day and was just struggling to get this rusty lock open. And this scrawny little African said, I can get it for you, sir. He walked right up and just... Open the lock right up, and Dr. Brand thought, what am I, some kind of a wimp? And then he looked and saw the drop of blood on the ground, and he looked at the kid's hand, and he had gashed his finger to the bone and didn't even know he'd done it. This is what leprosy does. It basically takes all sensation out. And this is the reason why the Apostle Paul said that there are coming in the latter days, men will be desensitized. They'll have their, their hearts and their minds will be calloused. Second Timothy chapter 4 says that. First Timothy, actually. And so we see our country, our churches, and some of us as individuals right here. You're just desensitized because you're so used to your sin that you've been living in. You're so used to your pride. You're so used to your self-righteousness. You're so used to whatever you're, you just, you're just there. And, and, and whenever truth comes in, you're just, you just, you just, it doesn't have any, you don't even feel it. That's why we pray for God to break through those calluses that some of you have developed on your hearts. Leprosy like sin is the great desensitizer. That's why Voltaire, no Christian, mind you, said that famous poem. He said, poem, he said, sin is a vice of such awful mean that to be hated is but to be seen. But seen too oft, familiar with face. At first we endure, then pity, then embrace. We become desensitized. Thirdly, leprosy, like sin, separates us. It leprosy from men, sin from God. 
They had to approach at a distance. You notice that? So they're being obedient to the law. They're keeping those hundred paces. But it's mindful of that regulation in Leviticus 13 where they said that the leper must live alone. That might be the hardest thing that they had to deal with. Leprosy broke up marriages, families, friendships, jobs, you name it, it separated you from it. And that's what sin does. God says in Isaiah 53, my hand is not so short that I can't save. My ear is not so heavy that I can't hear. But your sins have separated you from me so that I will not hear. Fourthly, leprosy, like sin, squelches our praise. Say, where do you see that there? Look at it again. Well, you notice as they approach him, it says in verse 13, and lifted up their voices. Do you see that? What you ought to imagine in the next line is something like this. Jesus, master, have mercy on us. Because that's about what it would have sounded like. In almost every case of known leprosy, the vocal cords are severely damaged, if not completely taken out. And so when Dr. Luke tells us they lifted up their voices, they lifted up their voices just to be heard. But when he returns, the one, he returns with a loud voice. You notice that? It's a beautiful contrast. But leprosy, like sin, will squelch our praise. I was in a camp uh, a week ago, and I was informed on day one, oh, by the way, there is a PhD professor at a, at, a, at a prestigious university. He comes every year with his larger family, and last year he argued with the speaker after every session. Have a great week. I had to speak nine times. So I made it my chore to befriend this guy. I actually did become a friend of him by the end of the week. He tore his ACL on the second, on the second day of the week. Had every reason to not be in any of the services, but never missed one. He came to every service, listened to everyone. We've entered into a dialogue. Fascinating man. Sociologist, evolutionist. Most of his family doesn't believe he's a Christian. I'm not really sure what he thinks. I, and at any rate, on the very first day I noticed, because I was told about him, he sat right across from me in the worship service. He was there on time. He was there with his family. He looked up, looked at the words, never once opened his mouth, never lifted his voice, never sang a song, not even a little bit. Didn't even do what like some of you young ones you just gotta move your lips just a little bit, you know. He didn't even do that. There is no praise on his mouth because there is no praise in his heart. I waited patiently for the Lord. He heard my cry, brought me up out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay, set me on the rock, put a new what? New song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it, fear, trust in the Lord. Not this man, because leprosy, like sin, squelches our praise. 
And finally, lepers, like sinners, need mercy, right? Well, that's what they're crying for. They didn't ask for grace. They asked for mercy. They didn't have mercy on us. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And this is what we need, right? We need mercy, right? It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saves us. By the washing of regeneration, this is what we need. And here is the point. We are the lepers of this story. We have to see ourselves as these nine. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. I'm really, no, we need to see ourselves as the ten. Jesus says in verse 14, go, go show yourself to the priest, which is very strange. Have mercy on us. Okay, go show yourself to the priest. Huh? Well, that would have fulfilled two things. It would have fulfilled the law, because the law required if a leper ever did get cleansed, they'd have to go to the priest and verify it at the temple. And this wasn't just a, you know, they go, hey, yeah, you're looking good. Onward. Good for you. No, no, no. This thing was like a three-week process. At least two. Could be three weeks where they'd have to be incarcerated. They would have to be isolated. They have to look, see if it's, you know, if it's going away. You can read. It's elaborate. Absolutely elaborate. They'd have to have a couple of, you know, animals slaughtered for sacrifice. And just a whole lot of stuff would have had to happen. He tells them to go see the priest. And, and for the, the other thing, it would have... The other thing it would have done, and more so, this would have verified the messianic powers of Jesus to those priests who would deny him and be purport his crucifixion, which wasn't that far away. Now, they take off. They just go, which was an act of faith in itself. And, and now you hear that a lot. Well, this, it took faith for them to go to the priest. yes. But the word on the street was that Jesus could do it. Remember, one writer said, we said this a couple weeks ago, that wherever Jesus went, he basically abolished disease. The things he was doing was not done in a corner. And these, these guys, they come together, they, they're looking for their opportunity. They know he can do it. They, their faith is a sight faith in some, to some regard. And so... The proof was already in the pudding. Still, 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 they had to obey. They did obey, and I don't want to completely take everything away from them as they move on toward the, the priest, still being leprous. And so, as they go, they're cleansed. Then one of them, he breaks from the pack and returns to Jesus. He's a Samaritan, which is a, a, a favorite Luke and rub. If you read through Luke, he loves to rub, put the rub in there, the Jew, the Samaritan. This one was a Samaritan. Jesus healed this one. I mean, they, that upsets him. Interestingly, technically, he would not have had to go to that priest because he was a Samaritan. What would they want to do with him? Yet, at the same time, Jesus' own words show that he expected those who were cleansed to, quote, return. When he says, verse 18, was no one found to return, give praise to God, except this foreigner? Surely, the temple precincts could wait a few minutes to thank the healer. But this guy does return. And just several things. No, he returns. 
He praises. We mentioned the word megalois. Great praise. He has a newly restored voice. He worships, literally defining the word, falling on his face. That's exactly what the word proskuneo means. It means to fall on your face. He defines the act of worship. And he thanks. It says it right there. And he thanked him. Verse 16, he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And then the cliffhanger. One of the most pathetic statements in the New Testament. We don't know what happened when Jesus said, weren't there ten that were cleansed? Of course there were. Where are the nine? There's no question about it. Jesus desired to be thanked. We don't know what happened. Did they, did they go off the priest? And when you read, when you read the preponderance of Jesus, most of the time, they don't even do, they just take off. They're so happy. I mean, again, consider the, the, the cost of time and money and effort, a couple of lambs of slaughter here and there. I wonder if they even went. We, we just don't know. But one does not um, always do what you, what you would consider natural. Doesn't it seem natural? I mean, I mean, we read this, and isn't it revolting to you? Are you when you read this and this, come on. He just got healed of leprosy. And, and, and there's some powerful words here used. And some of the miracles Jesus did, he uses words where I, I'm given the impression when he healed a leper, the leper didn't just the leper. It, I, I think the digits probably returned. The nose came back, ears were restored. Holes were filled in. It, it, it just absolutely seems unbelievable to me that they would not all go, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. No, one does. And in doing so, he gets an eternal bonus. Your faith has made you well. Wasn't he already well? Physically. I can't see any other meaning behind this other than something internally has taken place in him just like it has to take place in you and me. A couple of things as I wrap these things up here. I want you to hear. First, write this down. The nine wanted the healing, not the healer. And I'm afraid... That's where some of you are. You want the problems taken care of. You want the marriage restored. You want the kid made right. You want the job taken care of. You want the cancer taken away. You want the relationships made better. But you don't want the one who can do those kind of things. Oh, you might even want your sins to be forgiven. That'd be nice. But you don't want the sin bearer. The nine wanted the healing. They just didn't want the healer. As lepers, they all lifted up their voices in agony. But only one would lift up his voice in praise. Someone said to be thankful is an easy thing, but it's not a little thing. Thanksgiving 
is a characteristic of dependence. Did you hear that? Thanksgiving is a characteristic of dependence. We are dependent people, but only grateful people recognize that. The picture I described earlier, the one I want you to find, you didn't forget that, did you? This hideous monster called, this idol called ingratitude, surrounded by people with stones depicting our natural abhorrence to ingratitude. But if you look a little closer into the picture, and again, I haven't seen it, but it was described to me, so I kind of have seen it in my mind's eye. If you look close, there's one individual that he's throwing a stone, but in his other hand, he is grasping a miniature idol, the exact replica of the one he's throwing the stone at. That's why I want that thing. That's why I want that in my office. Because I want to be reminded that in my revulsion towards anyone who is ungrateful, that but by grace, that's me. That's me. An ungrateful man. And so, two things and we're done. I've long argued that in God's revulsion of sin, he gives us these little imagination shots in the Old Testament, but he gave us a bigger one in Jesus. We know when we read the Bible that Jesus had to be pierced, right? He had to be crucified for us. Except for this little note in Isaiah who prophesies the mutilation that would occur to him. We read the gospel account and it makes us wonder, why? Why didn't they just put him up on that tree and nail him there? I mean, why? that's bad enough. Do you have to beat him within an inch, inch of his life so you can't even recognize him? And I think the answer is, yeah, you do. Because we're so stinking stubborn, we can't see the sin in ourselves, so we have to see the sin on our Savior. As he bore our sins internally, he looked to bear them externally. Jesus was mutilated to picture our sin. And by the way, the Hebrew word for leper means to what? To smite. Is there a little irony here? Where it tells us Isaiah 53 and verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrow. We esteemed him stricken. Smitten by God. And afflicted. And by the way later on in the passage it says. It pleased our father God to do that to his own son. Why? Well because he loves us. That's why. And so Jesus was mutilated to picture sin and he was smitten to take those sins away. What sins? Well, how about the sin of ingratitude? I wonder how many today would acknowledge you are an ungrateful person.
Oh, I'm not saying you haven't said thank you to somebody a few times, and maybe even a lot, but in your very heart of hearts, you are a self-righteous, self-saving, self-absorbed individual who does not know how to give true praise to Jesus Christ. You hate ingratitude, but you're holding the very idol that you're stoning. And if you're an ungrateful person, then go and look again to Jesus who hung, mutilated on a cross to depict your sin upon himself and died to take that very same sin, the sin among many of ingratitude, away. So that you might become a vessel of praise. Do you want that? Christian, would you like to have that refurbished maybe a little bit? Vessel not looking so good? Ingratitude crept back in? Hardness? Self-righteousness? Repent. And as always, look to Jesus.